Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com This is the Unplayable Podcast. Sam Ferris here, and on today's episode, we chat to New South Wales fast bowler Sean Abbott and cricket.com.au's Lewis Cameron from Adelaide to recap round two of the Marsh Sheffield Shield and look ahead to round three starting this Friday. Before we get into that and much, much more, season six of the Rebel WBBL began last weekend in a rainy Sydney. It's going to be a huge season, so for all your WBBL news, subscribe to the Scoop Cricket Podcast, which is dedicated to the women's game. Each week, Laura Jolly and M. Colin will discuss the major talking points in women's cricket, chat to a star of the game, and get the expert opinion of former Aussie leg spinner Kristen Beams. That's the Scoop Cricket Podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's talk some Australian red ball domestic first-class cricket. And if there is one man who would physically eat the Sheffield Shield, if he could get his hands on it, that's Lewis Cameron. Hello, Lou. Sam, that's a great way of putting it. I also like Australian men's red ball domestic first-class cricket. I mean, who couldn't fall in love with uh, with the game when you describe it so eloquently like that? If you think the Shield's a mouthful, try saying that 10 times quickly. <laughs> uh, Lou, how are you, mate? What's going on? Good. I'm very good, Sam. Um, yeah, Adelaide is um, is treating all of us very well. It's um, it's nice life here at the moment compared to Melbourne, uh, and the cricket uh, has been very very good so far. It's been you know it was a little bit of a letdown having two draws in the last round, but um, the cricket was still good, and um, they were both hard fought games. Hey, big shout out to those Victorians. Well done on getting the flattening the curve, I suppose, and getting out of lockdown. So uh, you get to enjoy your state team play this weekend. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. And uh, Lou, you're a proud Victorian, so it must have been pleasing to see the Premier ease those restrictions. Yeah, this is not a topic I thought would be on uh, up for discussion on this uh, this podcast, Sam, but um, I'm keen nonetheless. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy for the people back home. Well, just giving a shout out to those Victorians who have been doing it <laughs> tough this year. All right, Lou, before we hear from you on more cricket-related topics, I spoke to New South Wales quick Sean Abbott, who took six for 89 and scored an unbeaten 60 in round two of the Shield against Western Australia. So sit tight, Lou. Here's Sean Abbott. Sean Abbott, thanks for coming on the Unplayable podcast. How is the Adelaide Shield Hub going? Thanks for having me, mate. Um, no, it's great. I really can't complain. Um, plenty of golf, certainly, in between games, and we, we, we had to get out of Sydney pretty quickly um, in case the in case the borders closed. So we had a, a, a week down here, and um, facilities, uh, you know, are under the pump at the minute, having a lot of teams down here with, with in the Shield Hub, so... You know, we had a pretty cruisy first week down here, so a lot of golf, a lot of coffee, and a lot of Call of Duty. Right. Uh, well, talk us through your sixth grade nine. You started the season with a bang. You've been with the Aussie White Ball squad, had to come back, quarantine, go back to New South Wales, and come back to Adelaide. Then you take a bag in your first match. How did you manage that transition, and, and what was it like getting back out there playing some shield cricket? Uh, yeah, it was, man, it was unbelievable to go out and finally play some cricket. Um, 
death by net sessions of late, like um, just trying to get ready and stay ready for games. It can be a bit tough mentally sometimes. Like you feel like we've been ready to play for a long time. Um, but yeah, got got great opportunity to train over in the UK and hang around those lads, obviously, who are playing some great cricket. And then quarantine back in Adelaide was, we were very lucky. I mean, we, we were allowed to go out and train, um, obviously, other like other people aren't as you know fortunate. They they have to quarantine at home. They're allowed to leave their their uh, their hotel rooms, whereas we're allowed to go out and train. So pretty fortunate we're allowed to do that. But because we had such a small training group, um, and you know still with plenty of support staff and coaching staff around, um, you know had a really good two weeks training there. And then um, you know I was pretty lucky that we got to you know come home and see family for a little while before coming to the sh- over to the Shield Hub. So. It was obviously nice to get some wickets. I mean, didn't really like the look of the uh, the pitch on the first day. It was quite flat, and you know we batted for you know a day and a half. So um, it was a good grind for a few days. You know, first stint back in the field was 160 or 70 out overs. So you know, really jumped in the deep end there. So pretty happy to be able to kick your feet up for a couple of days after that. So how's your body feeling? I mean, you're used to bowling four over spells or ten overs at max. You're bowling, what, 30-odd overs in that uh, Shield game. How's the body feeling? Yeah, you certainly can't um, practice bowling 30 overs at training. But, um, I mean, you know, we sort of set it up like it was, you know, because we batted uh, for a day and a half. You know, that first day was only half day in the field. Um, first session was only an hour before tea. And then the, the tough one was the next morning where we didn't take a wicket. So we were another two hours in the field without taking a wicket. So that was tough. And then we're like, we could be out here for another day and a half if we're not careful here. So, um, yeah, it was tough on the body, but, you know, it's either you can either go out and, you know, bowl and hopefully they declare or hope, you know, they, the batters make a mistake or you can put in for a few more overs and um, try and take a wicket. So, you know, that's pretty lucky that it turned out that way on the last day where I would take a few wickets and keep the feet up and, you know, play out. But not, we didn't re- obviously no one wants to play for a draw, but that's just the way that that game worked out. So, trying to work out how we can rectify that next game and get the game moving forward a little bit quicker. Of the six wickets, which one was the most satisfying? Probably Soss. I mean, he's an unbelievable cricketer and he's, you know, always number one on the, on the list of batters that you want to get out when you play against the Whackers. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely Soss. But, um, you know, Greeny on 197, you know, he's probably looking to notch up to 200 and have a bit of a slap there afterwards. So, Pretty fortunate he didn't get the chance to do that. So might have been a little inside edge on it too, but <laughs> one went our way finally. With the sauce one, was that a plan? Yeah, I think, well, uh, you know, we, we definitely speak about it as a bowling unit, you know, being fuller rather than shorter on this wicket with the new ball. And we knew how flat the wicket was. And if we if we bowled and allowed them to leave balls and get themselves in, then it was going to be a pretty hard slog for a few days. So um, we got him out that way last year, but... Um, you know, it's definitely fuller than I would have liked, but um, especially since he drove me pretty nicely the ball before on a, on a, on a pretty similar delivery. So, um, yeah, definitely looking to make him play early. That was definitely the plan. And just back on Cam Green, so many raps around the guy. He's 21 years old, scoring so many runs, and he's not even bowling yet. Uh, what did you make of him, and can you see him in higher honours sooner rather than later? Mate, yeah, there's obviously a lot of hype about the kid at the minute. Um, and I think the thing that impressed me most out of the, you know, I think he faced almost 500 balls or something, but, um, you know, his, his temperament um, throughout that innings, um, obviously the wicket was quite flat, but you still got to go out there and, and um, 
you know, and score the runs and, and stay focused for that whole time. And, and, you know, we, I felt like, you know, we challenged him for, you know, that, that whole innings. And there was, you know, a time when we were around the wicket uh, bowling short at him, you know, with five or six blokes back ready to play that one shot. And it was a 21 year old kid just to keep ducking them or try and find a way through that. Um, you know, I think it was quite impressive. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, to go out there and face 500 balls almost in, in first-class cricket is pretty impressive. So, you know, hopefully we get to see him bowling soon and see what, uh, see what he can really offer. But, yeah, I think he's, he's on, the, on the rise and uh, that, that innings was pretty impressive, you know, to face that, that amount of balls. And you were bowling with the headband. Is that as much fashion as it is function? Man, I, if I'm honest, I almost gave my, um, my barber a heart attack when I walked in. Um, nine months after my last haircut, when we got back to Sydney after um, quarantine in Adelaide, um, the little little barber shop um, down in Clavelli called Barbary, she uh, she goes, Matt, she goes, I was getting a little bit of a panic attack coming in when you'd come in and ask for your usual skin fade after nine months without a um, a haircut, but just got the trim and it really just a the headband's just to keep the the hair out of my eyes. I duck my head when I bowl, and I've actually been you know I had one hit back at me when I was a younger kid, so. Um, certainly don't want that happening again. Um, so it's really just there to keep the hair out of my face, uh, much to some people's disgust on social media. Yeah, I know. Geez, they complain about anything, don't they? Uh, you also can't use your forehead sweat to shine the ball, can you guys? So how have you gone around that? How are you guys shining the ball? Well, I, I tend to leave it up to other guys anyway. I sweat quite a bit when I bowl, but, you know, it's just you really can only use your whites or... You know, you, you can't be putting anything on the ball, really. So just a bit of extra elbow grease and putting that, putting the ball on your whites, I reckon. It's what we've been doing anyway, but there was no reverse or much swing last game anyway. So we might as well just, you know, turn the seam around and bowl cross seam for a, at 170 overs. I was going to say, what's the alternative? If, if, if you can only shine it on your whites, does the swing dry up pretty quickly and is there no reverse swing? No, the, the, these... Um, you know, I'm no groundsman, but obviously with the workload that these grounds are going to have during the next couple of games, um, you know, you have to keep the, the square quite lush, otherwise it's going to look like Chennai after a couple of games. So, um, you know, there's not much, there's, they're not all that abrasive in that first game that we played. And from what we saw in the first game before that, uh, there wasn't any reverse swing um, and the square was quite lush and the outfield was quite lush. So probably not going to expect much reverse swing Um as, as good as Starkey is at that, um, he tends to reverse a new ball sometimes. I think it's a nightmare in the nets. But, um, yeah, it's, it was tough work last game. Uh, it was after the ball lost its shine and the air went out of the ball, it was quite tough work to get it to shift. Yeah. Your game's gone to yeah strength to strength in the last couple of years. What do you put that down to? I don't know, mate. It's like a – I mean, I'm getting to 28 now. I'm, I'm 28 now, almost 29. Um, it's certainly been um, – I don't even know if I could put a number on it, but the, the amount of times you walk off um, off the field and feel like you maybe lost a one-on-one battle there or a one-on-one contest with another player or team, you know, you, you sort of you, you sort of find a way to be comfortable. I don't know, being uncomfortable, I suppose. I took that out of a, a Richie McCord documentary, I reckon. So I'd probably come to terms with that. But um, you know, there's many reasons, but probably you know, first-handed I have to be Andre. Um, our bowling coach if we're talking um, specifically about bowling um, and cricket um, and all of those conversations have not been anything really technically or uh, around planning and stuff it's more just conversations um, 
uh, you know, about mindset, how we word things. And then I'll, like, I'll go to Andre for, you know, things away from cricket as well. But I'm surrounded by a very good group of guys as well. Like really close with a few of the lads that I spend a lot of time with. So, you know, it's definitely, you know, a culmination of a number of things, but, you know, still a long way to go. Um, obviously keep trying to improve every day. So hopefully I can keep doing that. And yeah, one of my notes here was about Andre Adams and the influence he's had because every New South Wales quick I spoke to says he's just been great for their game and not only about technical but more uh, mindset, as you said, and off the field stuff as well. What has he brought to the New South Wales squad and just how big has his influence been? I think for the guys that are playing um, in the first team, like me, Harry and uh, Trent, you know, aside from the Australian players, when they maybe come back for one or a few games a year, um, I feel like me, Harry and Trent have been the, the you know, sort of the core uh, bowling attack the last, you know, two two years. So he doesn't really have to spend much time talking to us about technique. You know, we've, we've sort of already got that, you know, a technique's our technique. There might be a few um, cues or something we need to remind ourselves here and there. But, um, you know, rewording things uh, to get you focused on what, you know, what you want to do. Like we'll have our scouting meetings and stuff as every team does and have our plans for every batter as you know, every team and batter does. But, you know, it's certainly focusing more on what on what we're doing and how we're going to go about our cricket using our attributes as best we can um, and not just having like a blanket um, plan for everyone because we all, you know, we're, we've, got a, we've got a number of quicks in the, in the hub at the minute, obviously to cover injuries and not having to fly people over and stuff. So, and you look around the room and there's, each quick bowls quite differently and they've got different attributes. They have different skill sets. So um, I think he's been very good at uh, assimilating with each and every one of us and then um, getting us moving forward, you know, and it's really been mostly about language, I think, um, and our thought processes. And then, you know, if we need to remind ourselves of the odd cue, we can do that. But um, yeah, yeah, I'll probably put it down to that. You've been on the fringes of this national team, Sean, you're in the squads, you played a little bit uh, late last year, late last summer. Um, what's the feedback been from the selectors like? I've heard that George Bailey has been excellent in telling the players where they are and what they need to do to get to the next level. Um, what's the feedback been like and how far off do you reckon you are from cracking in that team? Yeah, it's obviously quite a formidable team, um, especially with, you know, where my skill set lies, you know, in the bowling ranks. So, you know, there's definitely some skill there and some experience there and, you know, absolutely some form from on that front so um but you know had some good conversations with George while we're in the UK obviously um being in a bubble and not being able to go anywhere we had you know plenty of opportunity to talk and talk about cricket and um in and around the nets or in his room but um you know it was he sort of reassured me that um you know my cricket was trending in the right way or in the right direction um and uh you know just made a few things pretty clear about you know really trying to work out uh, where I set myself apart if I do play for the national team and remembering what, you know, what my uh, best attributes were and how I can um, fit into that team should there be an opportunity. And um, obviously the, with the way things are at the minute with the bubble, there's, you know, potentially, you know, two teams, you know, one in South Africa, one in New Zealand, um, you know, there'll be some opportunities there, if, you know, if, if we can, if I can stay in some pretty good form, and or stay in some great form, actually, considering the players that are around at the minute, um, you know, I'm potentially having two bubbles. So, um, 
you know, plenty of work to do and a lot of, and a lot of cricket before any of that happens. But, um, you know, uh, I think I was pretty, you know, pretty grateful that, you know, George sat me down and made things pretty clear and said, just going through the motion of being in the hub and all right, get your training done today, kick your feet up to watch today's game or run drinks or whatever, you know, just reassuring that you're going, you're doing the right things, um, you know, but keep looking to improve every day. Don't just get in the, you know, go through the motions of uh, you're in the bubble. Don't just assume things are going to happen. Um, keep getting better. What are some of those things you've been working on? You know, probably consistency it would be one of them. Um, but probably a belief thing. Um, you know, obviously, obviously everyone, you know, there's a reason you've been picked and you're in the squad and you're travelling and whatnot. But, you know, played a, we had a few trial games at Southampton before uh, the first T20 Um <laughs> And I, I was so worn out after that because I was trying way too hard um, in the sense of, you know, was really excited and overexcited that I was in that group. And you look around and the players that have um, been playing in that group and had success over the last few years and how well they were playing. And sort of, not that I couldn't believe that I was there because I you know, felt like, you know, I put in some hard work to be there. But, um, you know, got overexcited was flying in, trying to bowl quick and was just, you know, spraying the ball everywhere and the boys were taking it apart. So um, just trying to calm myself down more than anything, which I think was the most important thing that I took away from those four games. And even though I didn't get to play on that tour, I still took a lot out of that. Um, I think, you know, Camo was pretty, you know, pretty helpful in that regard. He was my captain in those trial games, but sort of he almost goes through a similar thing, um, you know, of, you know, getting it, like the excitement of a game or a tour or a big match, you know, almost erring on the other side um, and, you know, trying to put more effort into working into your spell or working into the game as opposed to trying to, you know, run in at a million miles an hour and bowl really fast or, you know, take as many wickets as you can in the first two overs, you know, erring on the side of being more relaxed and more chilled out than anything was, you know, the most important thing that I took out of that you know, those trial games in that tour. Paddy Cummins is one hamstring away from being the test captain. You've got a bit of a taste of him. As a leader, hasn't done a lot of captaincy, but uh, what's he like as a leader? He's, I think he's a good leader. He's, um, you know, obviously, you know, being a, a quick and, and a fast bowler that, you know, you've got another quick standing at mid-off or mid-on and has a lot of experience and has been successful, uh, is really helpful in terms of planning and, you know, each ball just, you know, bouncing things off one another. Um, yeah, so I found that really helpful in those trial games. Um, and he's, he's obviously had, you know, he's been in, in, the, in, the, num, in, the, in the Aussie side for a while now. You know, he's doing really well, uh, as we can all see. Um, so, he's, you know, he brings a calmness when, you know, when things aren't going the way you like them, just reassuring you of some simple things that are quite often the most effective things. So. Yeah, I found you know I found him to be a really good leader in those trial games. So it'd be interesting to see should he get that opportunity, how he goes. Yeah, we spoke to him last week, and he was uh, he made it known that if he is the test captain, he'll make life a lot easier for the fast bowlers. So um, <laughs> you guys will be looked after in that sense. Um, and just on being around all those guys in that big squad, uh, is it a different sense when you're around Steve Smith, Dave Warner, Mitch Stark? at the Blues camp and then is it different feeling when they're in the Aussie setup? No, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, they, I think we're pretty lucky that they're, you know, they're all really nice guys and all uh, really giving with their time when they're around uh, the Blues setup. They're, they're always looking, 
um, to help other players and give their time. It's not just about them going in and hitting a million balls or just bowling and going home. You know, they'll do what they need to do and then hang around to see if anyone else needs uh, needs help or wants to chat or anything cricket-related. But <laughs> obviously those guys have, you know, they tour most of the year uh, for a long time now. So when I noticed when we did get on tour and into the hub that, um, you know, they really know how to... They've got the things that they like to do, you know, whether it's, you know, playing the PlayStation or Smitty going straight into Marnus's room and... Um, having coffee or <laughs> Smitty kicking me out of my room uh, after being there for 45 minutes, but we won't talk about that. Um, you know, they really they really have their things that they like to do to feel comfortable on tour, which is completely understandable because they've been doing it for so long, away from family a lot. So little differences, but um, yeah, I think when, you know, when they're on tour, it's, you know, they certainly have the things that they like to do to keep them, you know, chilled out and ready to go. Playing the guitar, did he perform for you? Smitty? Yeah. Oh, mate, uh, (laughs) the two weeks um, self-isolation we did leading into the tour was Smith. There were a couple of performances from Smithy. (laughs) I don't know what happened to his lyrics, though. They've seemed to have fallen off a cliff since, you know, since we left him in the bubble over there. Yeah, he's not got the greatest singing voice, but uh, room for improvement. He can always improve. If it sounds good to him. (laughs) You should keep it in the shower for a while, I think. (laughs) Uh, We can't. Let you go, and we've got a bit to talk about. But you're batting 60 from 78 balls, four sixes, Sean. Are you going to classify yourself as an all-rounder these days? Oh, I don't know, mate. There was uh, the game was there to be moved forward. I will say that um, there were some guys that had spent some time in the dirt, and uh, there were some guys, there were some bowlers that had some O's under their belt. So uh, if there was ever a time you're going to score some runs, um, you know, it's it's probably there. If I'm honest, but. I do put a lot of time and effort into my batting. It's one of those things. I get out if I get out, I'm, you know, and not scored runs. I feel like I've you know lost a contest there or lost a little battle. So trying to contribute in any way that I can. I get I'm too nervous a watcher if I'm you know sitting on the sideline watching cricket waiting to bat. I'd rather be out there even though you know I'm only averaging like 18 or something in shield cricket. Like not the greatest stats. So I don't think I'll be calling myself an all rounder anytime soon. But Hopefully there'll be more opportunities with the bat over the next couple of games to, you know, score some runs. You mentioned it a few times, but is that how you break your game down about those one-on-one contests? Is that what you're looking for, whether the bat or the ball? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've like watched a lot of, as any um, sporting nuffy would, you know, watch a lot of sporting docos and listen to a lot of podcasts. And um, yeah, I think, you know, I think one thing that Richie McCall said in that doc I mentioned earlier was like the greatest... Um, the greatest awards in the game or, you know, when uh, who's talking about like playing for the All Blacks, obviously, and the, uh, the greatest awards in our game are when we're playing in a test cricket or for our country, obviously. But for me right now, that's playing for the Blues and what does that look like? And, it's, you know, it's taking wickets and doing my job as a bowler. It's taking wickets or if I'm out there with the bat, it's scoring runs. So if I'm not doing my... If I'm not sitting on the sideline after I've just got out, I'm not doing my job, am I? If I'm walked off with none, if I'm not doing my job... Um, that was a great podcast I listened to the other day with Johnny Wilkinson. Um, listened to it a few times now, but um, he he mentioned um, about you know what is what is worst case scenario look like, um, it, you know coming into a game and you know for for us as bowlers it'd probably be getting a similar wicket to what we just played on um, and going none for and being in the field for two days and you know two of those things were pretty much true. I was just 
uh, lucky that you know this game I got to take some wickets, but you know we're in the field for a day and a half, and um, it was pretty flat. So um, you know, I don't know. I don't think it's you know having one-on-one contests or whatever. I just think it's striving to get you know realize your dreams and stuff, and that's where the greatest rewards are. You know, realizing your dreams and what's out. You know, it's playing Test cricket or ODI cricket or T Twenty cricket, or it might be different for someone else. It might just be playing for the Blues or just be playing cricket professionally or anything else. So, you know, I'd probably take snippets out of docos and podcasts here and there and just run with them for a while. And then if I find a new one, I'll run with that for a while. So, Did you watch the last dance, the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls one? Are you making up uh, You're making up some rivalries to get you fired up? Yeah, there was some, man, I was throwing some illicit banter on the golf course <laughs> for a while because we travelled, I've been travelling for like a year. I'm well, not travelling for a year, but I'd played We'd done a few trips, uh, like Aussie A trip, went and played in Canada in the frivolous T20 series and, um, you know, wasn't playing many competition rounds of golf, so my handicap wasn't going anywhere, but I played all this golf for a year, so I was playing off about, handicap said I was off like 12, but Moe kept saying I was playing like a, you know, five or six handicapper, so probably wasn't really reflective of how I was playing, so I was taking a few boys cash on the golf course. So when the last dance came out, I started calling myself MJ. And then we'd our, uh, I'd be playing golf with any of the other lads or I was partnered up with our S&C coach, Ross Herridge, most times. And I'd start calling him Pippin because I'd, I'd bring the best out of him like MJ does in, in the thing. And now that my bloody golf handicaps come down to six and I've not even looked like playing to that for a while now, and I'm start, starting to lose a bit of cash out of my bank account on the golf course. So, you know, quieting that quieting that banter down a little bit so not been enjoyable but we'll see how we go today mate if you uh, talk the talk you've got to walk the walk uh, and I'm sure you'll be playing against Mitch Stark big keen golfer he's back this round what's he been like in the net excited to see him out there I'm not excited to be standing in the slips to him I know that um, but uh, mate he's looking in good nick he's bowling fast in the nets the other day um, you know uh, he was I faced quite a bit of him in the you know uh, in quarantine for that two weeks and that was not enjoyable I can tell you that right now but um, you know he's, he's chomping it a bit to come out and um, you know wear the baggy blue and, and, and play for us this week so he's looking fresh and fit I do know that he's in great nick um, so hopefully he's in, in a good headspace after I take his cash today on the golf course <laughs> Alright we'll get you out of here on this uh, here you are the Blues resident barista is that correct? Barista in training yeah yeah. Okay. Uh, who's the most difficult customer you have to deal with in the Blues? And tell us, tell us about the setup. How does it work? So I'd, I'd be lying if I say I said I didn't get the idea from um, the recent UK trip to the UK where Marnus and, and Davey had their coffee machines. But I did notice that that uh, offered a space for, you know, people to come in and, um, you know, talk and have some conversation or do whatever. Like I've got my... We're pretty poor putters in the New South Wales golfing fraternity. So I've got a uh, practice putting green set up, uh, some workout gear and some other things in the PlayStation. So um, trying to provide a space where the lads can come in and have a bit of fun, even though not totally restrictive here in Adelaide with the hub. But um, the most difficult customer would have to be... Uh, uh, for, pro- uh, Probably Maui because he gives the most honest feedback, uh, which is probably beneficial for me in the end. But when I'm w- woken up tired, the lads have beaten me to wake up the cafe and I don't really need that honest feedback. Um, either that or Harry. Harry Conway will come in and have a, 
he'll, he'll come in and have three coffees in the morning. We'll come home from training and then he'll have another few coffees. But, you know, he's, he's had three or four in the afternoon before he's even realised. But what he, what he consumes in my coffee beans, um, you know, he, he provides in great banter and um, he typically goes through his full repertoire of uh, Ace Ventura um, you know, acting skills. So whilst he's, 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 he's drinking all my produce, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's giving you the full theatrics, which is great. Fantastic. Well, Sean, mate, uh, all the best uh, on the golf course, on the cricket field, in the coffee shop, uh, and, you know, best of luck for the rest of the summer. Hopefully see you in Aussie colours. Thanks, mate. Take it easy. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Sean Abbott, and here, as promised, is Louis Cameron talking Australian men's Red Bull domestic first-class cricket. Welcome back, Lou. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Got it out. Okay, Lewis, as you mentioned, round two saw two draws in the Marsh Shepherd Shield. New South Wales and WA played out a stalemate at Gladys Elphick Park, while South Australia and Tasmania shared the points at Karen Rolton Oval. We're going to break down round two with the help of some categories, but overall, Lou, what did you take away from round two? Yeah, I mean, two two draws it would suggest that the cricket, you know, might not have been as exciting as, as the previous round. But, um, you know, up until probably day four, I mean, even on day four in the WA New South Wales game, you had um, uh, you had Matt Kelly absolutely bombing sixes right at the end. And you thought WA were, were still behind going into that last day. Um, and you thought that they might be able to sneak out a, re, uh, a result out of somewhere. Um, and then in the the South Australia Tassie game, you had Travis Head basically having to bat the whole of day four, um, pretty much, I mean, not quite single-handedly, but, you know, without him, they were they were pretty much cooked. Um, so for him to do that, you know, was a really exciting little little sub subplot of the of the round. So even though there were two draws, Sam, it was still pretty, um, pretty gripping cricket, I think. Yeah, lots of runs. And we start with our best knock around to Cameron Green. He's got 197. Travis Head, as you mentioned, 171 not out. Moses Enriquez, 167. Sam Whiteman opening the batting for WA, 114. Jake Doran, 112 for his second first-class 100 for the Tassie Tigers. And Tim Payne, 111 not out, the Australian Test Match captain. Lou, what was the best knock of round two? Yeah, I mean, a lot of honourable mentions there. And uh, I do want to mention Travis Head a little bit later on. Um, and obviously, honourable mention to Tim Payne, who made his third first-class century just a year after the second one. And it had been 13 years before that one. So um, good to see the, the test captain in good nick. But yeah, I mean, Cameron Green, you can't go past it. Um, three short of a, a double century, that would have been um, that would have been pretty special. He looked pretty gutted to be, um, to be he, given out. He hit it, didn't he? Well... Yeah, I mean, I think I think he thought he did. Um, it was pretty hard to tell. It wasn't clear cut on the stream. I mean, I, I thought the the vision was was pretty good on the on the cricket network stream. And um, it, it, the other one, I thought it hit him reasonably high. Um, I know it was he was right back, and, but for for me, I thought the ball might have hit him above the knee roll. And he's he's he made 197, and I think he's 198 centimeters tall. So. <laughs> He's a big guy, yep. um, so there's a little bit of doubt there. But um, you know, 197, you know, it's only three less than a 200, so he's done pretty well, I think. Yeah, fantastic innings. Uh, what do we think about Cameron Green's short-term international future, Lou? Do you reckon it's worth chucking him in that that Test squad to face India? Personally, I'd like to see him just do his thing in in Shield cricket and domestic cricket for a little bit longer. I mean, it's 21. I don't know if Australia 
need him, need his services at this stage. The batting all looks pretty set. Wade and, and Head there, five and six. Not sure we quite need an all-rounder just yet with Labashane bowling some leggies. But uh, what do you reckon? Is it worth chucking him in that test squad? You know what? It's a hard one. And I was thinking about this the other day. We actually haven't really had anything like this in the recent past. Like if you look at, if you look at the, the incumbent test 11, um, or, or, or maybe the guys who have come in in recent times, like Mana, Slabashane, Travis Head, um, uh, and then even the bowlers and, and Tim Payne, none of them, from a batting point of view, none of them absolutely barged the door down in the Sheffield Shield to get in. Like yeah. Manus was a bit of a, a gut pick that worked out amazingly. Head, um, you know, has spoken himself about struggles to, to make consistent hundreds. Um, you know, he didn't absolutely bang the door down. He had a lot of good performances, but, you know, he, there was a bit of an element of seeing something extra in him. Payne, you know, was um, out in the wilderness. Um, so we haven't really had someone absolutely, and someone so young. So yeah. it's kind of, a, it's a bit of a test case. Like, you know, you know, they talk about, you know, dominating, wanting to see runs and dominate the shield. And um, I guess Matthew Wade, it, it might be the kind of closest recent example. He, he really yeah. had an amazing summer to get back into the Ashes team. Um, and that was across, you know, uh, you know T20 All cricket. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but he did very well in the Shield as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, when was the last time we had someone this young, it's, uh, you know, doing this well? No, it's probably you might have to go back to Ricky Ponting, someone like that. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and Will Pukowski, he certainly put up big numbers uh, mm. and was picked in test squads, but uh, withdrew for um, mental health reasons. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. And concussion. Just, yeah. And concussion, of course, yeah. So he's uh, he's one to watch out for. And Green, I don't know. It's just a big task, isn't it? He's coming up against India if he, if he would to play. But, you know, being around that test squad can only learn from the best players in the country. So, you know, I can see uh, pros and cons for both of it. But 21, geez, you get thrown into the, uh, into the deep end, don't you? So... A little say, bit, yeah. It's, I was just going to say about his, his bowling as well. Like, yeah. it's just that, that I, I mean, personally, I just think they just talk about his bowling so much and being so good. Maybe we just should wait for the whole package to get together. I mean, we wouldn't normally. Like, if this was a, uh, a normal, you know, 21-year-old batter who'd never bowled and he'd made four centuries and was averaging 55 or whatever he is now, like, we'd be saying, to, we'd be saying getting him in straight away. There'd be no argument about it, but it's because there's the lure of him also being a, a almost two meter tall, 140k bowler yeah. that we're kind of like, oh no, wait for that. So I don't know, mate. It's it's such a hard one. It's a pretty unbelievable package, and you think with fast bowlers, they only really peak when they're about 25, right? Look at Pat Cummins. He went through all those injuries and he finally came good when he was around his 25th birthday. It was only a couple of years ago. It's amazing he's only 27. So his body's still got to develop. Maybe he's going to get even taller, Lou. Maybe he cracks that 200 in height, if not runs on the scoreboard. Yes, very good. Yeah, he. Um, it was interesting seeing the other day that he. Um, uh, we got official confirmation of how tall he was and I think it came out in like 198.9 or something. So <laughs> he's, uh, he's getting used to falling short of 200. In shoes, he's got 200, I'm sure. Our best with the ball, I think there's only one contender here, Lou. There's only one player who took a Fifer in round two, and it was our man, Sean Abbott, was 6 for 89. He scored those 60 runs to boot. Uh, he's um, been pushing his, his claims for white ball teams in Australian colours, but he comes back with the red ball for New South Wales and takes six for on what was a pretty flat deck against uh, a 
a strong WA batting lineup. No arguments that Sean was definitely the bowler of the round. I want to have a um, a quick honourable mention to Bo Webster from Tasmania, who <laughs> is now bowling uh, off spin and medium pace, and his medium pace is going pretty well. Like he he said, he struggled with it in the first round a bit, um, but he got three wickets, first innings wickets in uh, against South Australia. So and then was bowling off spin on the on the final day on a wearing pitch. So he's that, the modern day he's the modern day Funky Miller. Yeah, I mean, maybe Andrew Simons is almost the the best comparison because he, you know, bats as well. Bat, but yeah, yeah I am um, I'm a huge fan of of seeing that. Um, but yeah, Sean Abbott. I mean, can't go past how well he stuck at it on a really really flat wicket while WA was piling on the round on the runs. Um, he's an excellent bowler. I'll tell you, what, Chesa got some fast bowls and here's the bowls, tell you. I mean, Chris Tremaine didn't play in that game. They went to welcome back mid-start for round three and you've got Pat Cummins and Josh Hazelwood over there playing in the IPL. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary depth. And you just think Sean Abbott is 28, coming into the prime of his career. Uh, he's going to be pushing for spots in all three formats, you'd imagine, if he keeps this up. Yeah, and especially the white ball formats, I reckon he's right on right on the verge um, of you know, being, being a more permanent fixture. It's just a matter of opportunity for him. Um, but yeah, red ball cricket as well. He's, he's so skiddy. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's just, he offers a little, a little bit of something different, I think, um, compared to the, you know, the, the four really tall quicks that, that we've got at test level. Now, didn't see that coming moment. And I'm going to go with a Matt Kelly who scored 89 off 89 deliveries, hit seven fours, and seven sixes and went absolutely ballistic, hitting six sixes in 24 balls at one stage. As you mentioned, Lou, that game was petering out to a, a very boring draw. But then Kelly lights it up with the bat, another player who has exceptional skills with both bat and ball. And to be honest, I didn't see that coming. I did not see Matt Kelly hitting seven sixes coming. That's, I think <laughs> that's the perfect, um, the perfect example for your category there. Yeah, as we were talking about before, he... Um, you know, they were a little bit behind going into that last day. It had been pretty slow going on on that pitch. Both teams had bowled well. And, um, you know, I think by the sounds of it, they tried to maybe um, come up to come up with a deal on, in terms of manufacturing the result. Um, nothing could be done. And then, yeah, I mean, WA looked like they might be able to pinch it. But if you'd just been able to keep going just a, a fraction longer, they might have been able to. But it's interesting that... Um, I think Green's Cameron Green's real breakout performance with the bat was um, against Queensland last year, and he was batting at I think he was batting at nine at that point because Kelly had come in as a night watchman, and they the two of them I think WA were about seven for fifty or so, and then um, trying to save a draw, um, and two two of them put on a, a really big partnership and ended up saving it, um, and Green made I think eighty seven and one hundred and twenty. Um, yeah in the game. So those two seem to seem to go pretty well, but I don't think anyone knew Kelly could, could whack the sixes as well as block them. We've got some all rounders over there in WA. You've got Green when he's up bowling, Matt Kelly who can show who's shown some promise with the bat. Ashton Agar. Uh, Ashton Turner bowls a little bit. We haven't seen him bowl for a little while now. He's got some some good all rounders. Matt Kelly's got big wraps on him too. Did he go to the IPL or was he is he I think he picked up last year? Mark Wall had, was a big fan of him when he was a selector. He, I think he picked him on some rogue tour somewhere. He's always been a bit left of field, his selections, Mark Wall. But uh, big raps on Matt Kelly. Yeah, he's, um, he's done really well in the Big Bash in particular. Um, just I think one of the better guys at, at hitting Yorkers. Um, just yep. One of those, you know, one of those um, first scorchers bowlers. Because he always comes on, you know, second or, 
offside third change over there and probably doesn't get the headlines um, or the excitement that, that someone like Jason Berendorf or Nathan Coulton Isle, who bowls 150 Ks, does. But he gets the job done in, you know, in all formats for him. So he's definitely one to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about uh, manufacturing results, how about that double declaration in New Zealand? They had their first round of domestic cricket over there, first class cricket. And there's a double declaration on the last day to try and get a result. I don't know who won, but you don't see double declarations. It was three in one day. First innings declared, they declared the second innings and they set the chase. So there you go. My brain's only got um, only got room for one an Australian or one Red Bull domestic first class competition. Sam, that one I've completely missed that one. I'm sorry. That's all right. This is the unplayable podcast. That was an unplayable question. Uh, how about our <laughs> did see that coming moment? And for me, this was Jake Doran's hundred. I actually spoke to Tim Payne for our Ashes Revisited series. Check that out wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and he told me after the chat that Jake Doran was absolutely killing them in the nets and he thought he was in for a big summer. It's, it's been a controversial move. Jake Doran to go down there to Tasmania a couple of years ago uh, and I think he's only averaged mid-20s. But he looked very good at the crease, got that second first-class 100 and uh, he backed up Tim Payne's word. So, Jake Doran, I saw that one coming. You did see that coming. Well done, Sam. Going back to one I did not see coming was Jason Sanger bowling in a cap. Oh, yeah. I was not expecting that. Okay. That's yeah. exciting. Yeah. I mean, you see, you see the girls do it a lot in the WBBL and stuff. I'm not really sure, what you know, why can't you bowl in a hat? Why is it such a, a faux pas? I don't know. I love it. That's a bit of Mo Matthews vibe. Mm. Yeah. I mean, keep the sun off. Um, it's It's got a bit of stigma around it that I, I don't think should exist. If you want to bowl in headwear, you can bowl whatever whatever you like. So Sanger's got the, he's got a thick head of hair though. Mo was thinning at that point. So maybe that was more of a sun protection thing, but Sanger doesn't quite need that. Uh, yeah, it's great. Maybe is it sacrilege to wear the baggy cap backwards? Is that coming one step too far? Uh, the traditionalists wouldn't like it. No. Um, some might say that could bring the, the crowds back <laughs> to the Sheffield Shield if, if there was a bit more of that. Maybe not this season because we're not allowed yeah. crowds at some games. So... Yeah, they might bring the crowds back next season. Well, it's a soft trial. They can see the the feedback on social media, and if it's positive, then they bring it out for next summer. It's a bit like the Duke's ball. Yeah, that lasted four crack, years. See how it goes. Yeah, yeah. four years of bowling cap. Okay, did you have a did you have a, a moment you saw coming? No, no. I think you saw it all coming, mate. I did. There's nothing I really saw coming at all. I just kind of turn up and um, hope to see hope to see something. All right, that might be the last time we. Use that category. I actually saw one other thing, Lou, because I saw it all on Fox Cricket, uh, which will again broadcast some Shield cricket. Uh, in round three, it's going to be New South Wales versus Queensland. In round four, it's going to be Victoria versus WA. So while I did see that coming, I saw it on Fox Cricket and on the cricket.com.au stream on the CA Live app and KO Sports. So it's great to see first-class cricket get back on the airwaves. Um, Fantastic job, uh, fantastic production of the stream there. And you can see it in many different places. How about our got to see that again moment? Lou, you got one of those? Yeah, Sam, the Tim Payne took an absolute blinder um, during South Australia's first innings. Um, and I definitely had to see that again. I was watching at the ground um, and saw the edge, saw it absolutely take off. But um, I did need the benefit of the live or the replay of the live stream. Um, yeah. He's a great wicketkeeper, great footwork. Really exciting to, to see him do it. He took one out of the hands at first step too. He, he, 
hopped a long way to get that catch. It might not have carried though. I think that's probably what he would have said. Um, I, I very much doubt. Who was it first slip? Was it Bo? Bo Webster's think... normally at second. Was it Bird? He's in the slip, Gordon. Might have been Dorn. Yeah, that's true. There's, I'll tell you what, there's some tall slips fieldsmen. I know um, tall players doing things is a, a favourite segment um, yep. to regular listeners of this uh, podcast. But yeah, tall slip fielders, Bird. Um, Cameron Gannon is in there for WA. I think he's in the gully. Uh, yeah, it's, that's one to watch. Why don't we see more fast bowls in the slips? Is it because of the height thing that that's tough getting lower? Are they afraid they might hurt a finger and that's, you know, game season potentially over? Uh, or they're just not very good fielders. I mean, you'd have to think if you're a fast bowler, you've just bowled six balls, bowled your guts out. You want to spell. I mean, if you go to fine leg, you could run the six balls straight at first slip. You're probably just going to stand there and have a rest. Why don't we see it, Lou? I think reason number one is the last one. Most of the fast bowlers are rubbish in there. Okay. But I think coming coming a, a distant second is the um, one thing I heard Mitch Stark saying uh, a little while ago because he, uh, I think he was in the gully a little bit for yeah. Australia at one point in test cricket. And I've heard him say that um, when he's bowling, he doesn't like doing it because uh, he kind of, he loses the... Um, it kind of gets stiff just standing there and he kind of likes it. Fine leg. Right. You know, you, you kind of, or even just in the infield, you're kind of walking in every ball, then you walk back. If you're on the boundary, you have a drink. Whereas at Gully, you just kind of, you got to bend down real low and, and crouch and do that for six balls in a row. Um, yeah, I think that's tough when you're bowling. Yep, fair enough. Freddie Flintoff was a pretty good catcher as well. He's a big fellow mm. back in the day. Okay, our stat of the round. And Lou, I'm deferring to you for this one. Yeah, our stat of the round was one that I found really interesting, um, which is Travis Head. Uh, that was his longest first-class inning uh, on on the day four of that game against Tasmania, batting for 265 balls. Um, his previous longest was the Boxing Day Test 100, which was also his most recent century. Um, so, yeah, I found that, that quite interesting. 265 balls, it's not that long a period of time for, for a top-order batter who's played as much as him. So a really good sign for, for Travis who has said, you know, that, you know, starts, um, you know, he's pretty keen to, to push on from uh, making starts into bigger scores. So facing a lot of balls is uh, a good, good start. He scored at a, for a guy who was saving the game, he scored at a fairly rapid rate, 171 off, what did you say, 265 balls. Uh, that's a pretty fair gun. I reckon he slowed down too. He was even scoring faster than that and then pulled the reins in a little bit towards the end of the match. Uh, yeah, selectors must love saying that because they want guys that can dig in. You know, Steve Smith's going to soak up a lot of balls. Uh, Marnus Abishan's going to soak up a lot of balls. I think Matty Wade is going to soak the balls up on his body because he likes taking those blows <laughs> to, the, to the arms and chest and ribs and whatever. But uh, that's what you want, those, those long knocks. So, yeah, selectors must have been very pleased with that from Travis Head. And our conditions report, Lou, I know you like to double in some pitch curation in your spare time when you have it. So can you give us a bit of a rundown of how the pitch is played? Is this something we can see? Are we going to expect to see the pitches to get a little bit more worn, slightly flatter as this Adelaide hub continues? Yeah, I think so. I wouldn't expect anything markedly different uh, for the next round given – you know, two of the games uh, at the Gladys Elphick Park, Gladys Elphick Oval, uh, pardon, and um, and Karen Rolton Oval. I think conditions will be pretty similar there. They left a bit more grass on Karen Rolton Oval for the SAV Taz game, and that made batting a little tricky um, on day one. But then it, it kind of became like it like it had been 
the previous round. They're doing a, a really good job, all things considered, considering these are, you know, basically club grounds um, and, you know, getting multiple four-day fixtures on them in a row. Um, they're doing a fantastic job. But, yeah, hopefully hopefully it spins a little more, that they're a little bit worn, that they um, the ball starts hitting those used wickets um, a bit more and getting gets a bit more roughed up. Um, the other one is Glenelg that will be um, hosting a game for the first time this season uh, in a rematch of the 2016 Sheffield Shield final between South Australia and, and Victoria, um, which was, a if, if people remember that one, that was a cracking, probably just about the best Sheffield Shield final we've had in the last, um, the last decade. My mind doesn't go back that far, but it's one of the better ones we've had just in terms of, of overall games. And part of that was... Um, was how good the pitch was there. So um, I think speaking to Travis Head after the last game, they kind of expected it to be reasonably similar to what they've been playing on. But um, I mean, if, if SA get any say in these things, I don't know if they do. You'd think they might like a little bit more, maybe a little bit more grass on it for, for some of their skillful fast bowlers. But uh, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. How's it working there? Are they playing uh, two pitches across? can't imagine the pitches would be side by side so how they do you, do you know how that's that's working on those game, grounds that are hosting several matches that's a very good question sam from memory uh because i've been more predominantly at the karen rolton oval games i've seen that one a little bit more closely i'm pretty sure the pitch the second pitch they used was maybe two or three um pitches over from the yeah. first one and I couldn't tell you on the other ground because I wasn't out there, um, wasn't out there very much. You yeah. might, it's, it's probably something you'd be able to see on the live stream though, because you can you can normally tell where the black kind of marks are from the from the previous round. You know where all the bowlers have turned up the other pitch. I know you didn't pay attention to it, but over there in New Zealand, you couldn't tell the pitch if it didn't have the stumps in there. It was that green and lush over there. Fantastic. One team lost eight wickets in the first session. So it's not exactly early in the season over there, but geez, they left some grass on. It was uh, extraordinary. Moving the game on, Lou, that's what all fast balls like to see. I love I love seeing the pitches over there. I wish I wish we could maybe play a bit of... I, I think they did play a Sheffield Shield game there. Um, I can't remember where. Uh, yeah, they did. Or, New South Wales and yeah. WA. Yeah, but it, it, I, from memory, the pitch wasn't all that green and juicy. It was, it was pretty... I think it might have even been reverse swinging from memory. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, it'd be good to see some Sheffield Shield over there. Maybe if they wanted to test out the batters before an Ashes series or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, what's next, Lou? Uh, I think we spoke about this last time. There's been a bit of a tweak to the schedule and the Mighty Vicks are coming into the competition to play their first game. Can you run us through uh, what the changes are and uh, what's coming up? Yep, so as, as we spoke about, Sam, South Australia are hosting Victoria for their first game of the tournament at Glenelg. Um, and then the Blues are playing Queensland. Big state of origin rivalry, Sam. I know you'll be excited for that. Yep. Um, I think state of origin's coming up, um, if my NRL knowledge is, is correct. They're playing that after the grand final. November 4 in Adelaide, Lou. Oh, it's in Adelaide, right. Okay, I, yep. I look forward to watching that from afar. I think we probably won't be allowed... Um, out of the out of the hub, out of the bubble to to do that. But there you go, a bit of a, a preview to some exciting uh, rugby league rugby league action. Yep. Um, and uh, WA are playing Tasmania in the in the other game at Gladys Elphick. So New South Wales and, and Queensland at Karen Rolf Oval. The Vicks are going to play in round two, but given the restrictions on training, they needed a little bit extra time to get some overs into their fast bowls. So it's going to be exciting. Young fast bowling attack. 
for the Vicks. What, what are you expecting out of the, the, the young Vicks under new coach Chris Rogers? Yeah, it will be interesting. Um, they've picked Simon Macken as a bit of a, um, maybe an insurance policy, almost a little bit. He's the, the former WA fast bowler who um, had a pretty good career there and um, actually got the got the yips a little bit. Um, Martin Smith wrote a, a really wonderful story on on him and his move to, to Melbourne um, a couple of months ago that's really worth checking out if, if our uh, listeners haven't heard it already. Um, so they've kind of got him as a bit of an insurance policy just with some of their younger guys because it's um it's a very different Victorian team and I think all the um, Victorian fans coming out of lockdown um, to tune into some Sheffield Shield won't see uh, your Chris Tremaines of the world, your James Pattinsons of the world, who's he's in the in the IPL and um, Peter Siddle's obviously mm-hmm. gone to Tasmania. So Scott Boland's left. They've got John Holland, but then after that they've got three uncapped quicks in uh, Xavier Crone, Zach Evans, and Mitch Perry. Um, who Mitch Perry especially is um, uh, sounds like he's probably the most um, advanced at this point. So I think he's probably a good chance of seeing him at um, at some point. Uh, early on, um, so it'll be interesting to see whether they they opt for a bit of experience in um, in Macken or or kind of go the, the more inexperienced route. But it might be a little bit of both, I'd I'd imagine. I just thought of another did see that coming moment, and that was Peter Siddle's reaction <laughs> to a drop catch. I think Ed Weatherall squared up and dropped it third slip early on day four when they were chasing victory, and he was absolutely filthy with those peroxide blonde locks. Uh, he does extremely well, Sid, to hide his anger, but geez, <laughs> he was filthy. He had a lot of catches dropped off his bowling in the Ashes last year, and he created so many chances, you think. Uh, Take them, guys. That's why he starts bowling the stumps. It takes the fielders out of the equation. But uh, classic reaction from a fast bowler by Peter Siddle. So I did see that one coming. I didn't see the drop catch, but I saw the reaction coming. Well, he's. Um, I mean, his smile is just so like engaging as well. Like when you, you know, it's just, you know, he's got those beautiful teeth and just everything. You know, you just you're just drawn into it. Um, so yeah, when he doesn't when he doesn't crack one, when he cracks a frown, it's um, it'd be pretty scary. I wouldn't want to be the fielder. No, certainly not. And the other big inclusion for round three is Mitch Stark, you spoke to recently. Uh, how's he faring? And he looks like he's just bowling the house down in the nets. He is, Sam. Yeah, it's um, it's so weird watching the nets. I still can't get used. To, I know he's been doing it for quite a while, but I still can't quite use, get used to his load up now, where yeah. his left arm kind of comes in closer to his body, and um, he says he kind of has a little bit more control from doing that. Um, but uh, I know, yeah, I think he's been doing it since last year's Ashes. But for me, I just, uh, every time I expect that left arm to come up real high and have that more swingy action. But um, yeah, so he, he's looking looking a little bit different. Um, interesting, he's the only test, you know, of those four big test fast bowlers, the only one playing in the shield, given the other three over, over in the IPL. So um, I guess time will tell whether that kind of pays off in the long run. But his his Sheffield Shield record is astonishing. Yeah. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but he averages I think maybe fifteen or so in the last five seasons. Um, and especially on on flat pitches, I feel like you often get the best out of him because he, yeah, um, yeah he just you know, takes the pitch out of the equation a lot of the time. So that is one that we're all looking forward to to seeing this round. When the tails in Stark coming around the wicket, the ball's reversing. A little bit. It's lights out. Good night. And uh, what he got two hat tricks in the same game a couple of years ago before that Ashes series. So yeah, he's um 
it's pretty handy at uh, Australian men's first class domestic red ball cricket level. Uh, so to touch on the IPL, that's almost over the um, over there in the UAE. Um, a couple of Aussies, well, there's 18, I think, Aussies over there playing at the moment. Uh, and India, of course, they'll be sharing the plane ride home with the Australians and they've named their squads for the upcoming uh, tour here, uh, T20 one day and test squads. Some big omissions with Rohit and Ishan Sharma both out through injury. Rohit's got a hammy, although uh, I think Mumbai is expecting him or hoping he will play in the IPL uh, in the back end. And then Ishan Sharma's done a side or a stomach, abdominal muscle somewhere in the torso, and he looks to be out of there, or well, certainly out of the IPL, and hasn't been named in any of these squads. And the other sort of big omission is Richard Pant, not in the one day. Or T20 squad, such an attacking and batter and gloveman. Uh, interesting to see him not picked there. Kale Rahul is going to be the gloveman in those squads. And Sanju Sampson uh, in the T20 squad. And uh, yeah, interesting. They've got Shubman Gill, who Ricky Ponting loves. He's in the test squad. And Prithvi Shaw, who so many raps on. He's played four test averages in the mid-50s. Uh, hurt himself in a tour game last time India toured. Little tiny batter, but prolific. Just prodigious talent. So... Exciting times. They've named 18 players in the test squad, India, and they're also taking four extra bowls with them, which I imagine if they're going to be a bubble setup, they're going to be the net bowls for the tour. So hopefully they're getting looked after because it's going to be a drag if you're just sitting in there having a bowl to Virat Kohli all tour and uh, not get to play a game. Yeah, it would be. And I remember when India were out here last time, they had these two guys um, who I thought were almost Virat Kohli's personal throwdown givers. Yeah, uh, they might have been the whole the whole team, but I, I saw him doing a lot of work with um with Virat. One one was a right arm uh, slinger. You had the you know the the dog thrower that you the see the wanger, yeah, the wanger, yeah, and one was a left armer. So that often work in tandem, just hurling balls down at Virat. So uh, it would be a good be a good chop out for those guys because um, they do a lot of work. Um, but yeah, fancy being a a professional net bowler. But yeah, it does kind of throw up that interesting you know. Um, the rite of passage for all club fast bowlers um, getting to go bowl at an international team. I know a lot of a uh, lot of guys I played club cricket. You know, it'd be the highlight of their summer almost going to going to get the bowl to um to the, to the Indian team or or even the Aussies. So um, yeah, with COVID, that's probably out of bounds. So uh, yeah, I hope those guys. Uh, do we know if any of them are spinners? Hopefully, they they got a bit of can bowl a, get a bit of miles into their their arms. Got to be spinners. I mean, and you know, you've actually done this, Lee. You've bowled to Virat Kohli in the nets. Can you give us a quick little rundown of what it was like bowling to probably the greatest batsman of this generation? Yeah, uh, I'm saving that one for uh, for my memoir, the Virat one. But the, the picture book. My, yeah, my my first one I got to do was um, I think it was the 2007-08 tour. Oh no! Yeah. Sorry, it was the 2011. It was a lot. It was kind of the one where um, Dravid and I think Tendulkar, Sachin, yeah. Ganguly. It was all their last one. I think it was 11, 12, right? That's right. Yeah, but yeah. Michael Clark scored a million runs. That's right. Yeah, and uh, it was at the MCG. It might have been you know the 24th of December around then. And um, yeah, I remember bowling to Ganguly, to Laxman, to Yuvraj Singh, who was in the Test side at that point. Um, and I remember I got moved into Sachin's net. Um, and I was so excited and I started running into bowl and um, just as I was about to get to the crease, one of the assistant coaches stood in my way and said, no, 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 Sachin does not face Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, Um, but he must have been looking down his bat or something and didn't see me to the last minute, but 
yeah, he said, and I had no idea as a, you know, I was maybe 17, 18 at the time. And um, yeah, Sachin does not face net bowlers. Um, oh. And I was really surprised when I got, got taken out of the net. They said, oh, sorry, we, you got put in there by mistake. Um, apparently net bowlers would, would just try and do crazy things when they when they bowl to him all around the world and they'd bounce him. And um, it, incredible that someone that good was a bit worried about a couple of net bowlers. Like, yeah. um, you know, you would have thought he's, his chances of getting injured off off some clubby are, are pretty low, but um, yeah, that was my nearly bulb to Sachin moment. Beautiful. And what about Virat? Next level? Oh yeah, incredible, incredible. Um, yeah, I, hopefully, hopefully, I can tell that story at some point. Um, yeah, yeah I've, uh, I'm saving that one up, Sam. Okay, sweet, brilliant. Uh, well, Lou, thanks for your time and thanks for uh, helping us preview the Marshall Wood shirt. If you see it, please don't eat it. I'll do my best, Sam. I'm, I'm getting pretty hungry um, at this time of the morning, but um, I'll do my best not to eat Australia's Red Bull domestic men's competition. Yeah, check out the New Zealand cop as well if you get a chance. <laughs> That's it for this week's episode of the Unplayable Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the Unplayable Podcast and to scoop wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next week, but until then, for all your live scores, breaking news, and video highlights, head to cricket.com.au and the CA Live app. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.